podcast. Brian Barcelo hosted this episode. Today's guest, Steve Andrews, going to be here with us today. Tell us about his new book, Liz, The Magic of Butterflies and Moths. Hey, Steve, how's it going? Thank you for accepting the invite. Hi, Brian. I'm very pleased to be here. And this is my book. I am indeed Steve Andrews. And this is my name, Steve Andrews, on, on my book, The Magic of Butterflies and Moths. Beautiful cover. Thank you. And there's the back and a lot of endorsements from people. So there it is. That's my, my new book. And I thought we could talk about butter butterflies and moths. Love butterflies. Now tell us something. How did you get interested in butterflies? Okay, well, thank you for asking me that, Brian, because that's actually a very good place to start, like, you know, where, where I started. Mm -hmm. I was actually like when I was a little boy, and I'm talking about maybe I was four or five and around that kind of age group. And my whole interest in nature started around that time, because what happened was I'd go out in the back garden where my parents lived and I'd find, well, I'd see butterflies, I'd see bees. I'd see snails and slugs and creatures that lived in the garden and we had a pet tortoise and, and I saw the flowers in the garden and my dad used to take us out in the car for family trips into the countryside where I'd see more nature and uh, all of it just became, you know, for me, just amazing, just like something that I was really kind of drawn to uh, when I was a little kid and I used to ask my mum and dad what things were, you know, and uh, they'd tell me and sometimes they weren't sure. So they get me books on the subject. And by the way, like I really, I promote books, not only my own book, you know, this book here, but books in general, because I think a really good way of learning about any subject is to, to, get, to get a book. Of course, we can do the internet these days and we can mm. search and, and that's good as well. But Personally, like, I'm still a very much a book type person. I, I love to read books. But anyway, um, what I was saying is that my mum and dad used to get me books and, and they used to also give me books that they already had, which are really old books. I've got one here. This book is The Insects of the British Isles and it, and it was published in 1946. Okay. Oh, wow. And you can see there, you know, there's some of the butterflies and... Uh, there's another page with butterflies on and, and I've still got this book, which in itself is amazing. I haven't got all the books I, I, I used to have, but I've got this one. There's another butterfly page from, right. from 1946, this page, this book. Take and very good care one. of your books. Oh, here we are. <laughs> this is a page about the moths. This is some of the moths. Oh, wow. And, um, my hand out of the way. Oh, that's great. There we are. Nice. Um, so I, I started, as I say, really in the garden with whatever I found in the garden, whatever I found when my dad used to take us out and in books where I'd learn, you know, and, um, and I've just kept going. So all my life, I've been learning more about nature and doing what I can to help nature and also, oh, and this is very important. I talk about this in my book. When I was a little boy, 
my grandma and, and grandpa, they lived up the road from us. And I used to go to visit them and they had bushes in the garden of a plant called the flowering currant. And there were caterpillars on this, on the flowering currant. There were two types of caterpillar on the, on the flowering currant. There was vapor and moth, we call a really pretty caterpillar. In America, I know you call it the rusty tussock over there, okay, but it's a, you know, the same moth. Pretty caterpillar with tufts of colored fur on, on them. And another caterpillar that in America you'd call it an inchworm, but in, in the UK we call it a looper caterpillar. They make like a little loop when they walk. And that was of the, a moth called the magpie currant moth. So these caterpillars, I used to take them home in a jam jar and feed them with the leaves from the flowering currant bush. And then they turn into pupae and eventually they turn into the moths. And all of this for me was like amazing experience. But the thing about the rusty tussock of the vapor moth, which in itself was fascinating and is in my book, was that the female, she doesn't have any wings. So when she hatches out, which is the following year, so you have to be patient as well. Mm -hmm. When she hatches out, you get um, a moth with, with no wings and she can't eat. And she, what happens is she, she lays her eggs actually on the cocoon that she's just hatched out hatched out from and oh and, and actually I said something wrong there yeah, basically the eggs go through the winter so you have to wait a long time for the eggs to hatch oh I see but um and this is important as well because I I, I learned about you know all the different um parts of the life cycles of the, of the moths and of the butterflies and some you know will, will change from the chrysalis to pupa into the adult quite quickly Others mm -hmm. maybe several months have to go by. Some go right through the winter. Some go through the winter as, as eggs. Some hibernate as caterpillars. So they're all different. And th this is important because as you learn about butterflies and moths, you mm -hmm. learn about the fact that they all have different needs. For example, they, mean, they may need, like people think caterpillars. Caterpillars eat leaves. And of course, this is true. They do. Mm -hmm. But what people don't realize is that there are actually many species, especially the butterflies, and they need specific types of plant for the caterpillars. Now, I know in America where you are, you have like a, well, it's actually a problem with the monarch butterflies. The monarch butterflies used to be millions and millions of them, and they're like world famous for their amazing migration. But the monarch butterflies are dropping in numbers like fast now, and I keep seeing like alarming reports of the decline of the monarch. And part of the problem, not the, not the entire problem, but part of the problem is that they can't find the food plants to lay the, for your female monarch butterfly to lay your eggs on for the caterpillars to eat. And the plant that the, the monarchs need is the milkweed. What is wonderful is that there are lots of people in America and also elsewhere where the monarchs live growing milkweeds to feed the caterpillars. But that's a good example because it's a specific plant. And for the, the monarch, it, and there are lots of, type of types of milkweed. And so basically oh. any of the types of milkweed is fine, but it has to be a milkweed. So um, something about that is that like the monarch butterfly, because it's an amazing butterfly and it'll migrate and it'll fly a very long way. Sometimes they end up in the UK, which is where I'm from originally. But if they get to the UK, it's no good because they, there aren't any milkweeds that grow there. So if you're a female monarch butterfly and somehow or other you manage to cross the sea, you end up in Britain, 
you won't find any plants to lay your eggs on. So that's the end of it. And the reason I mention that is because there are other butterflies and maybe they migrate a long way. And when they get to wherever they're going, they do find the plants they need and then they lay their eggs and then the caterpillars hatch and then they become a chrysalis or pupa. Then they turn into the adult butterfly and the cycle starts again. And one of the butterflies uh, I wanted to talk about today that does that is the red admiral butterfly. And I think you have those in America as well. And I've, I've got one actually here in the book. Maybe I can find this, this butterfly at the top, that one, at the yes. top of the page is the red admiral. And that butterfly, uh, it comes to Portugal. And this, and my book is called The Magic of Butterflies. And something like really magic about the red admiral butterfly is every year here in Portugal, where I live, I can go to the local woodland about five minutes walk from where I live. And if I go there on Halloween, on the day of Halloween, I will find at least one red admiral butterfly basking in the sun in the woodland. And the day before, if I go there, maybe there aren't any. And maybe the week before, but so they, they're always there on the Halloween day. And then they stay here. And the reason being, and this is incredible, is that the rains come in the autumns here in Portugal, and there's the plant that the, this butterfly needs, which is called the annual nettle. It's like the stinging, the stinging nettle is fine as well, but here the annual nettle grows. And the annual nettle starts to grow after the rains come, and this is a food plant for the caterpillars. So the butterflies are turning up just when this plant that they need is starting to grow. So the female red admiral, you know, maybe she'll mate with a, a male that'll find her. Then she finds the annual nettle, she lays her eggs, the caterpillars hatch, they grow, they become a chrysalis, then they turn into butterflies. And this goes right through November, December, January, February, and in, in, you can get two generations of red admiral butterflies from the ones that arrived here at Halloween time. And they're still here and now in March, where we are now, if I go out now to find the annual nettle, it's not doing very well anymore because we're getting warmer weather and longer days. So the plants that need the rain, and we're not getting so much rain now. So these plants die down. That's why it's an annual nettle because it comes up every year and that's the end of it. So the red admiral butterflies now they're going to move somewhere else. So maybe the, and, and the red admiral butterfly does migrate to the UK. So uh, they're going to fly maybe north. They're maybe even going to cross the sea. But it's no good here for them in Portugal now because the annual nettles are finishing. But through the winter, it was great. And so it, and it was like somehow it was it's just incredible. It's like magic how they know the time to actually turn up here in a town where the plant that they need grows and they do this every year. So they're like following the seasons, they're looking for a specific plant and they get it right. And that's the kind of thing that butterflies do, which I, I think is just amazing. And I talk about in my book. So I just wanted to mention that. But I, I'm just thinking actually, uh, you asked me the question of like when and where I started. I think I've covered that, but I've gone on to a lot more stuff. But anyway, so Brian, um, what would be your, your next question? 
Is uh, the difference between a butterfly and a moth? Is there okay. any real difference between them? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, and yes, the, there is um, actually. I'm sorry, and similarities too. Oh, and there yeah. are some. Yeah. The, the similarities mm -hmm. are that, but I, and I say generally because, as I've just said earlier, there are some moths that can't fly at all, which is a bit weird. Yeah. And some people might think, oh, well, that's terrible, but. It is as it is. Nature is weird. There's all kinds of amazing stuff goes on in nature. The, the rusty tussock moth female, she can't fly. But the thing is that, and, and it is again, it's a generalization. Moths tend to fly at night. They're nocturnal creatures. Butterflies are creatures of the day. They fly in the sunshine. But this is not always true because there are also day flying moths and people think, oh, butterflies are really pretty. Oh, moths are not so pretty. Maybe oh. they're brown or gray or, and, and, and they eat the clothes and we don't like that and clothes moths, which is true. There is a species of moth that does that. Mm -hmm. But there are also a lot of very pretty moths with very colorful wings, very spectacular wings. And some of them fly in the day. So people would see them, they might see, well, there's one which is in my book, the cinnabar moth. It's bright red and black, and it flies in the sunshine. And so someone could see that and think, oh, there's a pretty butterfly there. Mm -hmm. But it, they would be wrong because it would actually be a moth. And so you can't say the moths only fly at night and the butterflies fly by day. Although the butterflies do fly by day, you know, so you won't find any flying at night unless unless they were disturbed or maybe they were migrating and they had no choice. Right. But generally the butterflies you're going to see in the sunshine. But the differences otherwise are that, for one, I've just told you there are some moths which don't eat. Now this is weird. Um, there are some of the biggest moths in the world. There's a moth which you have in America, the moon moth mm -hmm. and the robin moth and the cherry moth. I know these all live in America. There's a a huge moth called the Atlas moth, which comes from Asia, one of the biggest insects in the world. In the UK, we have the emperor moth. Here in Portugal, we have the giant peacock moth, giant, because it's big. But all of these moths, they, they don't eat. So even though they're really big, even though they may be absolutely beautiful to look at, they don't eat, so they don't live very long. Maybe they have a week or 10 days. Mm -hmm. And so, that's because they do all their eating when they're caterpillars. They eat enough when they're a caterpillar. They're very, very hungry caterpillars, as, as, the, as the, that goes. They, they are. They're very hungry caterpillars. They eat as much food as they can get. Then they turn into the pupa in the cocoon. Then they become the adult moth. And then their whole life really is, is about finding a mate. You know, the, the female, she, she'll wait in, for a male to find her. The males are amazing. The, the males, are most, most of these types of moths, can, they have an incredible sense of, of smell. They can detect a female from maybe a mile away, and, and wow. they will fly that all that long way to find that female. Mm -hmm. And then they mate. But then after that, then the female, what, her next part of her life is to go and find the trees or the plants that she needs to lay her eggs on. And then that's it. That's what. That's it. So maybe she gets a week to do that in. The male gets a week to find the females in, and and that's that's their life over. 
So they don't need to eat because they did all their eating when they're caterpillars. Mm -hmm. And uh, there aren't any butterflies like that, you know, to answer your question. All butterflies, the adults feed, and they feed on nectar. Now, they don't only feed on nectar because there's some butterflies that will also feed on um, water from, from mud, like dirty water in, a, in, a, in the mud at the side of a river or something. Some butterflies, and there are quite a few, will also eat from fruit. So if they find rotten fruit or fruit that's starting to go a little bit, a little bit over, overripe and it's got the juice coming out of it, they will, they will take that juice. And there's some butterflies. Excuse me, Steve. You think they may be getting? Excuse me. You think they may be getting drunk off of the fermenting fruit? Yes. Yeah. Quite possibly. Yeah. And yeah. you find this in the autumn, as you say, the fall mm -hmm. in America. There are butterflies which you will see on the rotten fruit, like where the apples have fallen off the tree, or maybe plums or whatever, and you see butterflies on on this fruit. But they're they're all like they all feed, and that's as I say, that's a difference because some moths don't. But the moths, um, the other types of moths, yes, yeah, sure, they feed, so they have to find flowers with nectar in, and that's a similarity. Mm. But um, otherwise, one difference, and this is a big difference, is that there are many many moth species whereby, especially the males, the males have got like feathery antennae, feelers. They have, they're like a little comb. They've got, you know, little projections coming out all the way along both, both sides of the, the main antenna. And they have these feathery antennae basically because that is how they smell. And as I say, they have to find the females. They have to find a female maybe from a mile away. And they, it is so sensitive that those feathery antennae can pick up the scent of a female of their species from a long way away. But the females, they don't need to do that. So they just have a straight antenna, which is just like a little thread, you know, the two that come out of their head. Mm -hmm. And with the butterflies, you don't have that. And again, because the, it's a different system. For example, most moths, as I say, fly by night. So they are finding their females by scent. With the butterflies, they're flying by day and they can see you know, their own species. Oh, visual they, with those guys. That, that's what they do. And so the butterflies, their antennae, they have like a little club at the end. So mm -hmm. the, the, the antenna is like a straight thread. And then there's a little thickening part at the end, like a little club. And that's what the butterflies have. So is they, that a sensory organ? That's a sensory organ too, right? Yeah, that's a sensory organ too. And also I think of the butterflies, even the legs are kind of sensory organs. And, you know, they got various things they got to do. I mean, they got to find the right flowers. If you're a female, you got to find the right plants, you know, to lay, lay your eggs on. And when I say the right flowers, I mean, that, that maybe that, that wasn't for, for feeding purposes. You know, maybe that's not right. It's not such an important word there because many butterflies can feed from all kinds of plants which produce nectar. But for the caterpillars and for their egg laying, they have to find the right plants. Now, something which, again, which I mentioned in my book, and this is pretty weird stuff. This is in the kind of category of, you can't make this stuff up. It, 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 it's that strange. There are some butterflies whereby 
as well as having to have the right plant for the caterpillars to eat, at a stage in the caterpillar's life, it has to be found by a specific ant species. Okay, and then the ant takes the caterpillar into its own ant's nest, where it looks after the, the caterpillar of this butterfly, and eventually the, uh, the caterpillar turns into a chrysalis in the ant's nest, where the ants leave it alone, and the final, and then the next year, because it usually is, it's the next year this, this happens, the, uh, it get, it's ready to actually, you know, change into the butterfly. Mm -hmm. And so it has to make it, so it emerges from the chrysalis, then it has to find its way out of the ant's nest, and maybe it'll crawl up a grass stem or another plant. Then it unfurls its wings, it dries its wings, and then it takes off as a butterfly of its species. Mm -hmm. And this can be just as complicated as when I say butterflies and moths, maybe they have to find the right food plant. Mm -hmm. With these butterflies, which are in the, the family of the, the blues, there are many blue butterflies. Many of these species, they don't only have to find the right food plants, they have to find or they have to they have to be in the right area for specific ant species to find them because it's not just any old ant it has to be the type of ant yeah one will, that won't eat them yeah yeah the, that will look after this <laughs> yeah. particular type of caterpillar and and so that's a, a complicated life cycle and one of the butterflies i mentioned in my book and i think i've got a picture of it i can find it it's called the the large blue and it was actually extinct in the UK, but they've managed to reintroduce them, which is good and which shows there we are. There's a, there's a yeah, we can see it. The page there's a, mm -hmm. the large, large blue. Okay. And the large blue is one of these, these butterflies whereby mm -hmm. the caterpillar, it needs to be found by ants, needs to be taken into the ant's nest to complete its its life cycle. Steve, with this um, I'm sorry, with this symbiotic relationship they have, what do the ants get out of it? They don't get anything out of it. Well, maybe they do, oh, maybe they yeah. do, yeah. Because some of these caterpillars produce like a little bit of um, sticky sweet stuff, like honeydew. And I think maybe you know they're also ants, like they, they farm um, aphids, green yes. flies, mm -hmm. because they collect the sticky stuff. And I think that's about the only thing they get out of it. And actually, this is some of them lose out because some of the blue butterfly caterpillars will actually eat the, the larvae and the pupae of the ants, which are their hosts looking after them. Oh, wow. So that also happens. It's kind of rude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they don't, you know. They don't benefit from, from taking in the... Huh, that's interesting. And tell me something. Um, as far as navigation, when you mentioned the monarchs, how are these guys navigating? Anybody figured that out yet? I don't know whether they have, but, uh, but I, what I think is, uh, has happened is I think that, um, well, presumably thousands of years and thousands of years or maybe, you know, a long time has gone by that, that they evolved and adapted to do this. But what they're doing really is that they're going to the south where it's warmer. And 
the ones that are in you know the lower parts of Canada and the most northerly states of America, it just becomes too cold. You know, you're going to get snow and ice there. The the plants they need, the milkweeds, are, not, are going to be unavailable. Also, mm -hmm. even like the nectar giving plants for the adults, mm -hmm. you know, the flowers are going to be unavailable. And a cold winter freeze, there's nothing right. there. So they have to leave. And so uh, what they've evolved to do is that they, they go south. And as I'm sure you know, with the monarchs in America, they go right the way south. They go down to Mexico and California and Florida. And the ones in Mexico, they, they stay dormant through the winter there in the forests. And, you know, they like millions of them. Mm -hmm. um, and this is interesting. And again, something I talk about in my book, because the monarchs in America have evolved to do that right but there are monarchs in other parts of the world that don't need to do that they don't need to fly a long way in the in the late fall because it's too cold and they have to get somewhere else and i used to live in tenerife in the canary islands as i think you know right and for me that was amazing because i saw my first real life monarch butterflies flying about on that island and I started to look after the caterpillars and growing the milkweed plants. And, and what I learned over there, and which is what I'm trying to explain, is that the monarch butterflies over there, they don't migrate. They don't have a really cold winter with snow and ice and all the milkweed plants dying. They don't have that problem. How much temperature swing can they handle, you think? Well, I think what it, uh, now this is, look, there's, there's something which is actually uh, a reality in, in America and Canada, which in itself is amazing, mm -hmm. is that there are milkweed species which grow all the way from the south right up to the, the cold northerly parts, mm -hmm. different, different species. So you have a swamp milkweed and a common milkweed and a, a prairie milkweed and a tropical milkweed, which grows in the warmer areas. So there are milkweeds which will survive the cold winter, but they die down. So they're not growing. There's no leaves. There's nothing for caterpillars to eat. But the the butterflies themselves, they, they don't do well if it's too cold. And in mm. fact, I, I think I've even seen news reports on this. And if it gets too cold in Mexico where, the, where they're wintering, mm -hmm. a lot of those butterflies die. They can't stand freezing temperatures. But that's, that's the monarch. There are other butterflies that mm -hmm. can. I'm just, I mean, there's a butterfly that lives in the UK, the brimstone butterfly. It can withstand absolute freezing temperatures. It can hibernate. Just it just like finds a, a branch somewhere, mm -hmm. a tree, and it just stops moving and hangs hangs out there for the rest of the winter, <laughs> despite whatever happens. So if it's freezing, if there's snow, if there's ice or whatever, I'm a brimstone butterfly. I'm staying put and I wait till it warms up. Mm -hmm. So there are some butterflies that can do that and others mm -hmm. that can't. Cool. But what I'm getting at with the monarch and, and why this is like um, something that I learned about something which is really different and, and, and which a lot of people don't realize. You have migratory monarchs like the ones you've got in America, mm -hmm. 
which do this amazing journey. And then in the spring, they, they do the journey, they reverse it and go all the way back up north again. In a place like the Canary Islands, they mm. don't need to do that because it's warm enough like all year round. Okay, in the Canary Islands, in Tenerife, where I used to live, if you go up on Mount Tady, which is the highest mountain in Spain, not only in, in the Canary Islands, but in all of Spain, up on Mount Tady, you get snow and ice. It goes below zero. Mm -hmm. So it's too cold up there, but the yeah. monarchs don't go up there anyway. But if you go lower down to the coast, all around the island, it stays above zero. So there's no freezing conditions, no snow ever. And... The, uh, the tropical milkweed, which is the plant that grows there, it'll grow all the way through the winter. So this means if you're a female monarch, you can find the plant you need to lay your eggs on all through the winter. So the caterpillars can, can, can eat all through the winter. And so the cycle can just continue. So these non-migratory monarchs, they breed all the way through the year. They don't migrate anywhere. They don't need to, but they don't live very long. Oh. So this is something people don't realize. And some people think butterflies don't live very long. And this is true for many. They don't. Maybe they live a week. Maybe they live two weeks. Some live longer. The butterflies that hibernate in whatever way they do, they've got to go through the winter. They live longer because they need all those months of cold to get through that until the spring arrives. Wow. In, in the case of the monarch butterfly, the monarch butterflies that are Tenerife non-migratory ones, mm -hmm. they only get about two weeks as an adult. Wow. They get about 10 days as a caterpillar, a few days as an egg, about 10 days as a, as a chrysalis, and a, a couple of weeks as an adult. Yeah, yeah. But, the, but the American monarchs, the ones that the ones which are born or emerge in, in the fall, in, in, in late, uh, late, uh, late autumn in the fall, they get maybe October, November, December, January, February, where they're dormant down in where they've migrated all the way down to, to Mexico mm -hmm. until it starts to warm up again. So maybe they get five or six months or something, you know, mm -hmm. which is a lot longer and if they were the non-migratory type, but once they start to reverse the migration and they're going north again in the spring, the female monarchs that are laying the eggs then, the caterpillars hatch out, the chrysalises are formed, but then the butterflies that emerge, the first generation of the ones going north again, mm -hmm. they're not going to get the five or six months to go through the winter. So they've only got a few weeks, like the ones in Tenerife, because they don't need the long time to live. They have to just have to start the next generation. Mm -hmm. So you get, again, several generations of monarchs in America. In Tenerife, the Canary Islands, you get generation after generation after generation. I that's good. Uh, Steve, we're getting down to it. Um, can you tell people where they can pitch, uh, purchase your book? Certainly, yes. Yeah, uh, my book, there it is. I'll just show it again. Mm -hmm. The Magic of Butterflies and Moths. If you Google, Google this, Google my name, Steve Andrews, and The Magic of Butterflies and Moths, 
You should be able to find it. I know you can find it Amazon.com, you know, for America. Um, there is, we have distribution in America, so that's fine as well. Uh, in the UK, it's in Amazon.co.uk. In Portugal, it's available. And I think, and also I think Australia and New Zealand, it's available over there. So I, I think it's more or less available worldwide. If you just Google and, and see what you can find wherever you are. We'll Google place a link in the, um, in the description too. Steve Andrews, The Magic of Butterflies and Moths. Exactly. Steve, you have any last words for people? Any goodbye words, any parting words? Yes, yes, I do. I, I, I've touched on it, but this is most important. The butterflies and the moths worldwide are declining. This is bad. Okay. If you want to help the butterflies and moths, one way you can do this is you can grow the plants they need. So if you've got a garden, or even if you haven't got a garden, if you've only got a little balcony, a terrace, you can still grow plants in pots. If you grow some plants with the flowers to feed the adults, and then you grow some plants that the females can lay their eggs on, like the milkweed for the, for the monarchs, and over here in Portugal, I'm growing rue and fennel for the swallowtails. You've got swallowtails in America, they eat different plants. Some of them, I think, will eat the fennel and but anyway, they all have different plants. So this is, this is important. Find out what the, the butterflies and the moths in your area, what their food plants are, grow those plants, and then you're helping the females of those species to find somewhere to lay their eggs and for the caterpillars to feed. And now having said that, I'd like to finish with a song, if I may. Butterfly song? You got it, Brian. Yeah. Butterfly song. Yes. My butterfly song. But before I do my butterfly song, I'd just like to show you this, because this is important. Because you see, in the second verse of this song, I sing, they called me the bug man in the news one time. And that's where they called me the bug man in the news. This was in the South Wales Echo. And I say as well that a hissing cockroach on my head got plenty of views. And here you can see the hissing cockroach on my head. Wow. So, so this That's a big a roach. roach. It was, yeah, it, it was big. It was a <laughs> Madagascar hissing cockroach. And it, this, the, the report actually says, special world of insects for Steve. Bugman Steve Andrews loves coming eye to eye with the insect world. <laughs> and indeed I do. So that's the second verse. But then the closing verse, and this is important. It's all important. The closing verse, the closing verse, I say, make a butterfly and fly with me. Say, yeah. And this is how you make a butterfly, you see, and how you fly. You, you put your two thumbs together to make the antennae. You got it, Brian. You got it. It comes naturally. And you use your two palms to make the wings and you can flap them like this and fly. So now you know that and, and all of the, the viewers know how to make butterflies, we can do the song. But before we do, I'll just put a butterfly in my beard. And this again, this has also really happened because I do look after caterpillars and I, I do rear butterflies and sometimes they land in my beard. Wow. So I've had butterflies in my beard. So there's the butterfly in my beard. I get my guitar and we will do the song. 
butterfly in my beard. I had a butterfly in my beard, oh yeah, oh yeah. I had a butterfly in my beard, oh yeah, oh yeah. I had a butterfly in my beard, it looked pretty strange, it looked pretty weird. I had a butterfly in my beard, oh yeah. Bug man in the news one time, one time they called me the bug man in the news one time, one time they called me the bug man in the news. A hissing cockroach on my head, it got plenty of views. They called me the bug man in the news one time. Join with me by making butterflies And Brian, I can see that you know how to make a butterfly So this is great So everybody put your hands together And make a butterfly Oh, make a butterfly And fly with me Say yeah, yeah. Say yeah. yeah Oh, make a butterfly And fly with me Say yeah, yeah. Come on, say yeah, 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 yeah Make a butterfly All. Be really, really free. Make a butterfly and fly with me. Say yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Make a butterfly and fly with me. Say yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Steve. Everybody, it's the end of another Yambar podcast. Once again, Brian Barcelo here with Steve Andrews, author of the book, The Magic of Butterflies and Moths. So be sure to check out Steve. Yeah, be sure to check out Steve and purchase the book. You can find it on Amazon. And also, remember to check out our previous Yambar podcast guests. And never forget that the Yambar podcast is a place you make it happen. Steve, I appreciate you so much. And appreciate all y'all for joining us. Peace, everybody. Take care. Thank you so much, Brian. You're welcome. Peace out. <laughs>